0: Mm-hmm. topic of our dematog uh, this uh, evening uh, is uh, the hindrances the hindrances uh, events uh, Familiar to you as meditators or not? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, hindrances that certainly uh, tend to occur during you know, the meditation practice, intensive meditation practice, but also outside of intensive practice. Now, to start with a story. And the story is not entirely you know, based on imagination, but rather based on you know, the experiences of at least two, possibly even three you know, people. Now, coming to, uh, to a retreat is sort of something that at times may happen quite smoothly, at other times may be full of hindrances. Now the story is as follows. Two years ago when, and I'm shaping it shaping the story a little bit, when a retreatant uh, living in the Greater Los Angeles area, decided to you know, go on a, a retreat here in uh, New Mexico. And back then, it was at uh, the retreat was to be held at the Synergy Ranch, not too far from you know, Santa Fe. So uh, this retreat and. Uh, intended to uh, fly from one of the regional uh, airports um, in the greater Los Angeles area via Las Vegas to where? Albuquerque. Now the flight was supposed to be relatively early in the morning, and so even though departure was quite some time ahead of departure from you know, from from the home, was quite some time before or you know, proper time. Yet it so happened that already early in the morning there was some very dense traffic on the interstate, leading. To to you near know, the airport and so getting to you near know, the airport was uh, now already you know, some you know, a matter you know, causing some you know, nervousness will we make it or not fortunately our you know, retreatant made it to you near know, the airport and just barely made the check in and uh, And then, when it came to to the security check, well, the usual thing, the bags got screened, and on top of this, the security uh, officers uh, felt it was necessary to do a full body check. So, which of course uh, takes more time, and uh, which then makes reaching the flight in time uh, more difficult, but, uh, we thought uh, know, with the um, by the virtue of the buddha dhamma and Sangha, our retreatant uh, just made it to you know, the gate and sat so, you know, just in time <laughs> just in time you know, for you know, proper or you know, just before you know, the boarding ended, so our you know, retreatant is looking forward to the retreat at the synergy range and Satya then is sitting. You know, um, uh, in the plane, and uh, uh, then waiting for the plane to take off. And what happened was, here comes an annon- announcement by the captain. Here's your captain speaking, sorry to say, because of a, a thunderstorm uh, 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 that is uh, uh, just approaching near uh, the airport, our departure will be delayed by 20 minutes, or by uh, some time, approximately 20 minutes. So. Uh, our retreatant patiently waits, sitting there, you know, the plane is still on the tarmac, and indeed the thunderstorm does occur, and uh, there are quite a number of lightnings that strike, and then it even rains a little bit, and so all of this obviously adds to the discomfort of our retreatant. Now, fortunately, the a thunderstorm is not lasting forever just a uh, you know, very short uh, you know, one and finally the uh, you know, captain you know picks up the microphone and says now folks we're ready to take off and uh, of so then the plane takes off, and certainly then the flight to Las Vegas is certainly without any problem. However, owing to a delayed, owing to the delayed departure, well, getting into Las Vegas is on time or not delayed. Well. Obviously, also delayed, and since uh, the transfer time uh, between the incoming uh, flight and the uh, outgoing flight, uh, now, now to start with, was already rather now, now short, well, that the <laughs> the delay now, now, now from now the first flight flight and then, um, uh, uh, well, adds or or, or, uh, plays an important uh, role. So our passenger, our retreatant, who is very eager uh, to uh, make it to uh, the retreat, well, uh, he runs as best as he can uh, to uh, make the connection from uh, the uh, LA flight to uh, to, uh, the ongoing flight to Albuquerque. Now, he makes it, but what about the luggage? So, wait, wait, and see whether l- the piece of uh, n- 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 luggage is going to make it or not so. And finally, the second flight certainly uh, takes off, and uh, then uh, everything is okay, except just before reaching Albuquerque, the uh, stewardess comes and says, "Please, uh, n- put your uh, n- your, your uh, n- carry-on baggage uh, underneath uh, n- the seat of the n- n- seat in front," and certainly uh, with this, uh, n- the retreat and. Uh, then misplaces uh, uh, his hat. And then when, uh, after the plane has landed and uh, the time comes to get up, well that woolen hat ends up on the floor and gets forget and uh, uh, ends up uh, uh, staying there. And so uh, then um, upon uh, reaching uh, the carousel in order to uh, pick up uh, the suitcase, well too bad. <laughs> no suitcase there. And did you experience something like this? And so, uh, so uh, then it uh, that means that our the retreat and has to rush over to uh, the um what what is this called the you know, um the uh, unclaimed hmm? baggage baggage claim, there you go, the baggage claim mm, counter and so then all the details have to be registered and suddenly the person in charge does Uh, assure our uh, retreat, then certainly there's no need to worry, Uh, the luggage uh, will be uh, safely delivered uh, to the retreat center um, outside of Santa Fe. Okay, now so far so good, however uh, our retreating was supposed to catch the shuttle bus. (laughs) and there's just one shuttle bus going from Albuquerque towards Sutton the retreat, Sutton's entrance in at the Synergier Ranch. Unfortunately, that shuttle bus is gone already and there's only one single one. So this thing means and then our retreat and has to yeah, make other arrangements and uh, private arrangements uh, namely that uh, he has to look for a cab so finally outside of just outside of the Albuquerque uh, airport he spots a cab and uh, then uh, talks to uh, the cab driver asks him uh, whether he knows the Synergy Ranch near, uh, outside of Santa Fe uh, where uh, the retreat is so, uh, supposed to take place. The cab driver Driver with much confidence says, oh well, surely I know that place, how could I not know, and so then our retreating has full confidence in the cab driver and so both of them take off for the synergy Ranch and sadness of the drive takes about uh, how long maybe an hour slightly over an hour yes and it, and then finally, you know, finally you know, some rather remote certain place is reached and certain, so the cab driver you know, tells the retreat and so here we are. this is the synergy ranch. And the retreatant gets out of the you know, taxi <laughs> walks up walks up to you know, the you know, facilities there, and suddenly talks to the you know, person you know, and the office to find out what. Uh-uh. This is not the Sinergier Ranch. Sorry, sir, you're in the wrong place. The retreat is not going to take place here, but somewhere else. And so then you have to convince your cab driver to go to the true synergy Ranch. So uh, 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 finally, uh, our retreat does reach uh, uh, the proper uh, destination. And uh, then uh, after a couple of hours of uh, uh, waiting, uh, then also uh, uh, the airline uh, uh, brings uh, the missing uh, suitcase. Now, um, this uh, story is pretty much uh, based on actual occurrences, an actual uh, event. And uh, as for the last part, it was uh, uh, Victor Bird you know, who uh, uh, tried to attempt or tried to, and he took uh, uh, a taxi in Italy and intending to you know, go to the meditation center in Pian di which is south of uh, Piacenza, and it so happens that nearby, yeah, there's also a Goenka retreat center. Oh, the taxi driver only knew the Goenka center. He thought, well, there, there must there's just this one single meditation center. And so yeah, he happily drove Victor Bird to the Goenka center and poor Victor, yeah, after a while he figured out that he was in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> and so um driving travelling to a retreat center at times can be full of hindrances no it doesn't end there once uh, uh, once you've settled in uh, you've uh, been uh, given a, a room at the center you know, then Uh, uh, you unpack and uh, maybe take a shower and suddenly then it's time for the manager talk and then shortly after after that it's time for the opening talk and then you hear the meditation instructions so far so good and suddenly then with lots of energy you start practicing and suddenly you assume that it's going to be smooth practice, sailing sailing along happily, but what? Well, things are not certainly that certainly easy. And certainly so, after just a few days of intensive practice, um, as retreatants, we discover that all sorts of hindrances come up. Can you think of some? Some that you've experienced yourselves within the last couple of days? Aversion, yes. What else? Dullness. What else? Sloth and torpor. Sloth and torpor, yes? Desire. Desire. Desire for what? To To end end the retreat? (laughs) 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 could be. (laughs) So, if not that, then. Pardon me, too? Or better practice. And for for some, it could be a desire for, well, for special, you know, know, the type of food that you're used to at home. Or it could, well, around here, for more comfort, there couldn't be more comfort. (laughs) (laughs) So not that one. So, anyways, a desire might suddenly come up, and sudden aversion, ill willedness might arise, sloth and torpor, dullness is part of this. And then, have we really mentioned all forms of difficulties or hindrances? doubt, yes, and this doubt might certainly be a major one, and certainly might certainly actually cause a meditator or cause meditators much trouble. And then apart from doubt, there's still another hindrance left, restlessness and remorse. So then, then basically covers certain, uh, you know, the you know, most certain important certain hindrances even though, or having said this, there is an, there's actually several sets of hindrances that you know, mentioned in the text, and there's one set in which uh, you know, well, another quality, another mental quality, is being mentioned, which is fundamental to all of you know, those you know, that you have mentioned so far. So, which quality, which mental f- no, no factor is this that is underlying all of the others? Delusion. Delusion, there you go. Delusion or no, ignorance. And so all of the others are based no, in no, delusion. Now these uh, no, hindrances um, typically speaking arise in the course of our meditation practice, arise after, you know, let's say for a new meditator, arise within just a few days of intensive practice. So typically maybe on oh, day 3, day 4, day 5. And so, then yeah this happens as part of uh, the uh, uh, development of the first insight knowledge, and once one has overcome the hindrances, does it mean that they 're gone forever huh? <laughs> not at all and so so you know, there are ample of opportunities to you know, deal with those hindrances over and over again. So they do tend to arise again in the, you know, what is known as uh, the knowledge by comprehension, which is the third insight knowledge, and, uh, and then you know, they also tend to arise again at, uh, once again at later, you know, point in the practice a place known as uh, you know, the knowledge of reobservation, which is you know, the tenth insight knowledge, and there too you know, the hindrances can cause a meditator much headache. Now, hindrances occur not only on the way to a retreat center, not only during intensive practice, but even in worldly life. Can you think of a particular situation in life where the hindrances might arise? Chris? (laughs) Oh, uh, walking past the garlic bread. Walking past the garlic bread. Oh, the garlic bread. Oh, I see. So then what happens? Then desire arises. Yes. And uh, can you think of any other life situation where the hindrances might arise?
1: Ill will, in traffic all the time. In in
0: traffic all the time, yes. Mm -hmm. Correct.
1: In conversation.
0: uh, in conversation with others,
1: yes, can just come up, um, Such as? It could come up uh, ill
0: will very subtly. Yes. Okay. Through, through a wrong speech. Uh, yes. Okay. And then. And a couple of years back, I read a small you know, publication you know, which was uh, you know, published by the, you know, the Buddhist Text Society in Kandy, Sri Lanka, and it was about the hindrances and the married life. You see, do you see any connection there? Do you think there's any...? No? <laughs> Alan? <laughs> It's a learning process. <laughs> <laughs> it's a learning process. Oh, I see. And so, um, according to the author of that small you know, booklet, so if I remember correctly, um, you know, he's a psychologist. And so, you know, what, you know, the point he's you know, making is that the hindrances also occur in married life. And so, when we deal with our spouse or partner, at times our dealing satna will be influenced by liking, at other times by disliking, so desire and ill will, and then at other times, Uh, If we've had enough of this liking and disliking business, then we might certainly feel somewhat less energetic to get involved in a conversation, we might not want to interact with the other person anymore, and so we keep it, certainly, everything to a minimum. or. Having um, having to deal uh, with the other person uh, might suddenly then uh, cause a lot of restlessness. So our spouse is talking to us, but uh, we really don't want to listen. And uh, suddenly so we busy ourselves reading the newspaper or uh, watching TV or giving only half answers. Yes? Uh-huh. It's true or not? Oh yes, oh I see. And and then, sooner or later, sooner or later, having with restlessness and remorse having arisen, and we then deal with it, but then doubting thoughts might arise. Is this really the ultimate relationship or not? And certain, so, and then second certain thoughts might suddenly come up. Now, from a Buddhist certain perspective, mm, these hindrances, what do you think? Should we treat them as ultimates, or should we you know, uh, you know, deal with them in a realistic manner and be mindful of them? Hmm? Well, I suppose mindfulness is the proper answer. So, if we take these hindrances too seriously, then indeed the, the relationship might certainly suffer unnecessarily. Now, the hindrances certainly have been mentioned. Um, so, hindrance of senses are ill will, restlessness, and uh, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and uh, remorse, and skeptical doubt, in the Pani scriptural language, uh, these are known as Gamachandan nivarana, as pyapada nivarana, as tinamida nivarana, as Satna udicakukucca nivarana, and then finally as certainly vichikicha nivarana. Now, later on, we uh, shall go, uh, or we shall uh, uh, explore why uh, these particular mental states are uh, referred to as hindrances. Now, the Buddha has certainly given uh, at least three similes for a better understanding of uh, those hindrances. The first one is that of uh, seeing or looking into a vessel which is filled with water and trying to see the reflection in the water and trying to see one's own reflection in the water. So using this vessel filled with water and kind of like it or as a mirror. No. The hindrance of uh, sense desire in this simile is compared to what? Colored water. Colored water, there you go. That is certainly correct. And the hindrance of ill will then is compared to what kind of water? Uno. Boiling water. There you go. And so, when the water is boiling in that n- vessel of in that certain vessel, n- then will it be easy to see one's reflection? Hmm? Okay, mm-hmm. not easy, right? And n- then, what would be n- the n- illustration for sloth and torpor? So, n- you're trying to see your n- n- reflection in water but okay. hmm?
2: murky.
0: murky water well not quite what's uh, n- n- how did the buddha construct uh, n- the muddy. illustration muddy, muddy. N- that's uh, n- the example for n- for n- doubt yeah. there you go and n- n- muddy murky water is the same so does anyone remember?
2: Slime.
0: Uh, algae, with mosses covering the surface of uh, the water. So, uh, if uh, the mosses are covering the surface of the water, how can you possibly see your own reflection in it? Now, in the case of restlessness and remorse, it's maybe more obvious this is uh, being compared to water that is
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, agitated by you know, the wind, whipped up you know, by um, you know, some you know, strong wind. So, which means you know, that the surface of uh, our you know, you know, vessel. Or, the surface of the water uh, is you know, rather agitated and you know, wavy, shaky, and you know, with this thing, you cannot properly see the, your own reflection in it. And you know, the last you know, part of our you know, illustration or simile you know, we've covered already. So, uh, it's you know, water that is muddy, murky, and in this, it's very difficult to, to see your, um, your own reflection. So that's a beautiful uh, illustration. Now, there is yet certainly another one, namely that of gold, which is impaired by various impurities. And certainly so. In the case of a goldsmith who's trying to make some ornament or a n- necklace out of gold, which is impaired by iron or copper or tin or lead or silver or you know, a combination of these, what do you think? Will it be easy for the goldsmith to do his work or her work? No. Not. Not easy, because gold event that is satna still, full of these certain impurities, will not be pliant, will not be wieldy, and will also lack radiance, will be brittle, which means it breaks easily, and satna then uh, will be very difficult to work with. Likewise for the mind. A mind in which the five hindrances arise is a mind that is very difficult to work with. It's a mind that is not pliant, that is not wieldy, that is not radiant and not certain firm and certain that cannot be wrought well. And so, so, it follows certainly you know, from you know, this that a mind that is free you know, from you know, the you know, five you know, hindrances, from the you know, five impurities will be a mind that is radiant and you know, that can be very well worked with. Now Can you, from your own experiences, meditative experiences, can you give reasons why the hindrances are known as hindrances? Why are they spoken of so badly? Because they distort the way we see things. Yes. Cloud our
1: entire viewpoint.
0: Yes, uh, this is certainly uh, n- very correct. N- uh, they cloud our n- understanding of n- the true nature of n- objects. Indeed. Any other reasons? Yes, that's correct n- too. Anything else? Yes. Like that. So you can't go forward the that is correct too. So they lead to certain stagnation in our inner practice. So. so Ah, uh, uh, yes. this is also uh, a good observation. So, in in a general manner, one can say that certainly these hindrances are. Um, well, they hinder, for one thing, the development of concentration in the context of our Samatha meditation, so calm meditation. They make it difficult you know, for a meditator you know, to you know, gain uh, you know, the you know, jhanas, the absorptions, and you know, they, so they make it difficult to you know, reach neighborhood concentration and full concentration. And in terms of insight meditation, the past lamentation, they hinder you know, the um, realization of uh, you know, the peace of Nibbana or you know, they you know, make it difficult to discern objects clearly, to discern the truth. Now, in uh, quite a number of passages, one uh, uh, one passage from the Diganikaya, uh, at least three passages from the Samyutanikaya, and several other uh, texts, the five hindrances are uh, uh, spoken of as defilements of the mind, and uh, uh, those uh, five hindrances are further referred to as weakening wisdom, weakening our ability to intuitively understand the true nature of formations. Now there is a very interesting connection between the hindrances and the enlightenment factors. And so the Bojanga Samyutta, the collection of discourses on the enlightenment factors, establishes an antithesis between the seven enlightenment factors and the five hindrances. And so, there's not just one single passage that speaks of this, but even in several. And so the hindrances are you know, the obstacles to meditative progress in both concentration as well as inside you know, meditation. And uh, they are you know, described, you know, for instance, uh, not only in the Nikaya but also uh, in the Digha-Nikaya and Majjima-Nikaya as part of the gradual path of training. And later on I will uh, quote a little bit. Now, the hindrances are further, more, furthermore, said, to be comparable well we've seen to corruptions of gold and as another simile to parasitic forest trees and then as we've seen impurities in water which obscure the reflection of one's sudden face furthermore those same hindrances are said to be makers of blindness destructive to wisdom and distractions from the path to uh, Nibbāna. They are uh, also, to put uh, this last point, uh, differently uh, they are said to block uh, the arising of uh, knowledge as well as uh, the um, arising of uh, or gaining the realization of the happiness of uh, Nibbāna. Now, on the other hand, the enlightenment factors are being praised as acids, as makers of vision and knowledge, promoters of wisdom, as aids along the path to Nibbana. In one uh, section it suddenly says that suddenly the enlightenment factors lead to knowledge and vision whereas the hindrances lead to an absence of knowledge and sudden vision. Now in the Majjhima Nikaya, the Middling Fatna discourses of Fatna the Buddha, we find uh, in uh, discourse number one oh eight, we find an an interesting passage um, that uh, speaks of a conversation, or that describes a conversation between Elder Ananda and a Brahmin by you know, the name of uh, Visakar, if I you know, remember it correctly, and suddenly uh, so. The Brahmin you know, is uh, asking about you know, different types of uh, meditation, and Elder Ananda you know, then replies you know, what the Blessed One considers proper meditation forms of meditation, and uh, um, other forms of meditation that the Buddha you know, or the Blessed One does not consider as proper meditations. Could you think of uh, a meditation that is uh, uh, not proper meditation. Hmm? Wrong
2: view is present.
0: Uh, meditating with wrong view, yes, you could say this. Anything else? Well, very simple. If, and this is happening, uh, even among inside meditators, if a meditator sits in meditation with eyes closed, straight back, perfect posture, full lotus, and uh, the the outward impression is, oh, this is really uh, a model meditator. But in the mind, this meditator is thinking sensual thoughts, not just one but two but three but four the whole sitting non-stop <laughs> so this the buddha uh, does not consider as proper meditation so um, to give you or to quote certainly from that particular mm, passage ananda is saying the blessed one o brahmin did not Praise every type of meditation, nor did he condemn every type of meditation. What kind of meditation did the Blessed One not praise? Here, someone abides with his or her mind, obsessed by sensual lust, a prey to sensual lust, and does not understand as it actually is the escape from arisen sensual lust. While one harbors sensual lust within, one meditates, premeditates, out meditates, and mis meditates. So, this form of a meditation you know, then could be considered or has to be considered as a form of mis meditating in the Pali scriptural language known as appajayanti. The same thing no, then goes or applies no, for no, the other hindrances. So, if one enjoys uh, thinking aversive thoughts, or if one no, enjoys sitting there and certainly so, no, sleeping, oh, <laughs> and one spends one's time not like no, this, then no, this would be a case of mismeditating. And so, so the Buddha does not recommend so, this kind of uh, meditation, but rather does so, he uh, recommend you know, or, or he praises you know, forms of meditation um, such as so, jhana practice and obviously also proper insight so, meditation. So, If one were to spend most of one's time just engaging in sensual thoughts, or in aversive thoughts, etc., then this will not lead to the purification of the mind. Now, there are different means of overcoming the hindrances. And uh, can you think of any such means? Concentration? Uh, Yes, concentration helps to suppress certain other hindrances. Anything else?
2: Investigation.
0: Yes, investigation of what? investigation of the hindrances? Yes, indeed. And uh, to add, the an enlightenment factor of investigation of uh, states is indeed given as an antithesis to, um, well, uh, to skeptical doubt. Yes? Loving kindness, yes, in which context?
1: Well, maybe that can help with the hatred.
0: Yes, that is correct. Anything else?
1: Meditation on the different parts of the body to help with the sensual desire.
0: Yes, it's also correct. And so. (coughs) Yes? Uh, Mindfulness, uh, there you go. And actually, mindfulness is for all, for each and every of those five hindrances, the first one. The first way, the first and foremost way to deal with it. So, if you don't know of any other way of overcoming a hindrance, do remember mindfulness. And so, simply to be mindful of the arising of a hindrance, the presence of a hindrance, and certainly the passing away of a hindrance. And then also, in the context of the Dhammanupasana Satipatthana, and Marcia will talk about this certainly tomorrow, there is mindfulness of, Uh, well, mindfulness of uh, the aggregates, and then also mindfulness of the hindrances. And so, in this context, knowing knowing the uh, conditions that lead to the arising and if a hindrance is present knowing the conditions that lead to the removal and uh, once the hindrance has been removed knowing the conditions that prevent a future uh, arising of the respective hindrance. So mindfulness very much is uh, an important way to uh, tackle the hindrances. Uh, now, um, investigation of states was already mentioned as one way of overcoming the hindrances. Can you think of another enlightenment factor that specifically targets one hindrance? Yes, please, Paul. Energy? Energy, energy overcomes what? And, uh, yes, so the enlightenment factor of uh, energy, virya sambojanga, uh, then may help us to overcome the hindrance of sloth and torpor. And so, uh, then, you know, what about restlessness and remorse? Do you see any you know, antithesis for this? Tranquil- Tranquility, that is correct. So Pasadi Sambojanga as a way of overcoming restlessness and subna remorse Uddhacca and Kukkacca. Now, interesting is that the Samyutta Nikaya in its fifth volume, section sixty, also mentions the eightfold Noble Path as a way of overcoming the hindrances, and so there oh, uh, it 's a short discourse uh, that Sut first just mentions the hindrances, and then, in the last part, it says this noble eightfold path is to be developed for direct knowledge of these five hindrances for the full abandon and uh, the full understanding of them and for their utter destruction for their abandoning so Based on this passage, we can say that training in the Eightfold Noble Path would be another way of dealing with the hindrances when they come up. in terms of individual mental factors that are helpful to overcome the hindrances, Shamila has mentioned concentration, and then I think Paul mentioned mindfulness. And so yet there's another very important, and well, and then you know, there's already you know, there's another factor that you've mentioned uh, already, namely energy, energy or effort. Right, so. Our uh, uh, teacher from uh, Burma, the Venerable Sadhu Upanita Bhivamsa, very much uh, or frequently uh, mentions those three factors as being essential to uh, overcoming the hindrances. The way he explains this is uh, that uh, the the mental factor of uh, effort will um, distance the hindrances, will distance the mental defilements in general, will block their, their uh, arising. Now, in the case of mindfulness, what's the action of mindfulness?
1: Penetrate. It
0: so penetrates. It penetrates an object, through, yes.
1: Through the delusion of the hindrances.
0: Uh, yes, and uh, uh, more specifically...
1: It you, can get in there. Like you, you recognize it, as it starts, so you don't get as wrapped up
0: in it? Ah, uh-huh. um, we're getting there.
1: Remember?
0: What's the second manifestation of mindfulness? The first one is being face-to-face with the object of observation. And the second one is?
1: Staying with
0: it. Being within, Staying with it. Staying with Uh well. Yeah so penetrating, right? Penetrating. The protection of the mind. Arakat Arakapachupatana and so so protection of the mind from um, the attack by mental defilements and uh, in a general sense and in particular from the hindrances. So in the presence of Moment to moment mindfulness, uh, and there there not being any gaps, gaps of absent-mindedness, absent-mindedness. Then how can unwholesome mental states arise? They cannot arise, and thus, so in the presence of mindfulness, you know, you know, the hindrances cannot arise, and the mind will be protected. Now, in the case of certain concentration its work is or its function is to to suppress the hindrances so now, th- now suppressing the hindrances then means that they're gone f- once and forever. Amy? Only momentarily. So, as long as the power of concentration is there, as long as that suppression power is there, the hindrances have no chance, uh, no chance you know, to uh, create havoc. But when your, your concentration, your samadhi, you know, your weakens, then you know, the hindrances might suddenly uh, spring back up. Now, um, I think you mentioned earlier on uh, vitakka and vicara. So, indeed. The Venerable Sayadaw Pandita also that mentions, in particular, Vitaka as a way of dealing with the hindrances. Now, his way of explanation is as follows. Um, and Vitaka and uh, no, no, which are, in particular, in connection with Thut, Sloth, and Torpor. So, when uh, no, Sloth and Torpor is present in uh, the mind, then um, the mind will do what? It will contract, it will congeal, it will become rather stiff, like uh, a stick of butter that you've kept in the freezer for a long period of time. And so it is with proper aim. Aiming the mind at suddenly the centre of the predominant object, that then gradually the mind opens up that constricted that uh, constricted mind then opens up and then becomes suddenly more active and with this uh, then sloth uh, and torpor may subside and. Obviously, in this connection, effort will also play an important role, and it's uh, uh, what effort does is the way the Venerable explains it is you know, the burning, the heat of effort will melt suddenly those sudden hindrances, and, uh, and then uh, will activate suddenly the mind. Will um, uh, what was it? Um, the heat of effort uh, then will activate Satna uh, of the mind and drive fatna uh, that sloth and torpor, away. Now, just for uh, general knowledge, the Melinda. Panas, so or questions of Melinda, in section 34, you know, mentions faith, saddha, as an, a way or a means you know, of overcoming you know, the hindrances. And the explanation is as follows, namely, as confidence springs up in the mind, it breaks through the veil of the hindrances. Now, Maybe to explain this a little bit further, but uh, this is guesswork and that I'm honest about this. Um, When one has overcome, or let's say, among the hindrances, it is the hindrance of doubt that usually arises as the last one. And so, so if one has applied uh, uh, mindfulness, uh, to uh, doubt, uh, then gradually the doubt certainly uh, will subside, and eventually, uh, uh, eventually, uh, faith will arise, confidence will arise, and with this, then uh, uh, one heads out of the zone of the hindrances and certainly uh, into a zone of more wholesome mental states. So that's. Uh, um, my My personal reading of this, but this may not be uh, necessarily what the commentaries say. Now what are from your experience the results of overcoming the hindrances? Is there any benefit to
2: this? (laughs) (laughs) You get
1: stronger each time you successfully overcome a hindrance, your mindfulness, your confidence, your faith, all of it gets stronger. Yes,
0: this is uh, very good, indeed. And... It is not just a meditation experience, but even a life experience. Whenever we have to um, face some challenge in life, be it in our work life, or our our life at work, or in the field of education, let's say we've got some really difficult exams ahead of us, um, or maybe in the arena of sports, athletics, um, if we've got some very uh, tough competition ahead of us, and, in order to mm, move ahead, we have to mm, well give our very best, and we have to muster all of our physical and mental strength you know, to you know, then pass the test and the result is you know, just like you're saying correctly that uh, the mind will be strengthened in terms of effort, in terms of mindfulness, in terms of concentration, and certainly indeed confidence um, that once we've passed the test, we've, uh, we know we can do it. And then uh, we're ready uh, to face the next uh, challenge. and so that's sudden uh, no, uh, one uh, result that comes suddenly with overcoming you know, the hindrances another another couple of foot another mm, mm, written, uh, a few results are there gladness. what's that gladness. Yes, indeed, this is correct, too. so the mind um, is glad to have overcome the hindrances, and oftentimes not just the hindrances, but also you know, physical pains. Sometimes meditators certainly go through some very severe you know, physical pains, and so having to work with them eventually overcoming the pains you know, then you know, leads to a general sense of gladness. I've done it. Well, I've done it I'm you know, through or I've managed to you know, go beyond such, you know, these physical as well as mental um, you know, difficulties. And the arising of gladness then quite naturally leads to you know, you know, the arising of which other wholesome mental state? Cons- joy, yes. Concentration. And concentration and prior to the concentration between the joy and concentration we have Succa, yes, and between succa and joy. Tranquility. Tranquility. There you go. So you know, there is a you know, well-known passage in the Diganika and um, possibly also in other you know, places, that you know, speaks of a, you know, a very common sequence, namely the arising of this, or the overcoming of the hindrances, then leads to the arising of gladness. The gladness, in turn, leads to the arising of joy. The joy, when at first it's somewhat rough um, and coarse. You know, gradually becomes more and more refined. This leads to the arising of the calming or stilling of the body. In turn, leads, uh, this leads to you know, the stilling of the mind, which then you know, you know, prepares the ground for the arising of happiness. When there is happiness, the mind, so, or the happiness is the proximate cause you know, for the arising of concentration. And concentration, in turn, you know, then is you know, the you know, ground for for insight, for wisdom. And so there's a whole series of wholesome states that suddenly becomes possible or that arises owing to the overcoming of the hindrances. Now... Sharmila, you have mentioned that the mind gets strengthened. We can add by saying the mind overall becomes more stable. And so if you think, later on in the practice, especially during the 10th insight knowledge, when the hindrances are at work, they can be very strong and they can literally cause a a meditator's body to shake and to swing and sway in this direction, that direction. So there's a lot of turbulence uh, going on. Uh, first in the mind, and then also manifesting in uh, the body. And at that point, uh, the mind is clearly not balanced, and it's uh, you, know, it, you know the mind gets thrown from, from one opposite to you know, the other, from one extreme to the other, and this physically you know, then also um, you know, or, or it manifests also physically. And so, you know, once a meditator has overcome the hindrances, you know, then all of you know, these, you know, these, you know, these extremes you know, are no longer valid. And so, with this, you know, the mind becomes much more stable, and so, you know, then also more resilient and so, you know, unshaken. So you know, there's a, a number of good things you know, that uh, result from overcoming the hindrances. Now, allow me to quote the you know, a passage, more or less similar passage. Mm on you know, the overcoming of the five hindrances and you know, the you know, two passages are you know, number one from the Diga Nikaya, Volume 1, Section 71, 72, 73 and you know, corresponding to this you know, Majima Nikaya 1, you know, Section 181. And I'm quoting one has cast away sense desire, Gamachanda, one dwells with a heart free from sense desire. From sense desire one cleanses one's heart. One has cast away aversion byabada. one dwells with a heart free from aversion. Cherishing love and compassion toward all living beings, one cleanses one's heart from aversion. One has cast away sloth and torpor thi-namida. One dwells free from sloth and torpor, living the light, no sorry, loving the light with watchful mind, with clear comprehension. One cleanses one's mind from sloth and torpor. One has cast away restlessness and remorse, Udcha Kukucha, dwelling with a mind undisturbed, with a heart full of peace, one cleanses one's mind from restlessness and remorse. One has cast away doubt, wichikicha, dwelling free from doubt, full of confidence in the good, one cleanses one's heart from doubt. So, apart from the results that we've mentioned or explored so far, there are others like confidence and loving-kindness, compassion, etc. Now, it's already past 8 o'clock a little bit, you know, just maybe you know, to say a few things about one of the hindrances. So, you know, so far we've uh, spoken about the hindrances in general, and now, now let's uh, pick sloth and torpor, since you know, this sloth and torpor for sure has certainly uh, strongly uh, hit some of our <laughs> meditators here. Including myself. And, so, and now, for a better understanding of Phutna sloth and torpor, the Dhamma Sangani, which is you know, the first Tatna Abhidhamma work, describes sloth in Pali known as Tina um, by. by Uh, using the following synonyms namely it says sloth is indisposition of mind unpreparedness of mind for good action and please notice for good action not for unwholesome action sluggishness of mind Stolidity of mind, inertia of mind, inertness of mind, being inert, sloth, being slothful, slothfulness of mind, this is called sloth. And modern synonyms for this would be dullness of mind, laziness, idleness, disinclination to action or labor, indolence, laze, the bad habit of being lazy and unwilling to work, and suddenly then the state of having no energy or enthusiasm. Now, as a short definition, we can say, sloth is sluggishness or the dullness of the mind. In terms of the classical fourfold definition, sloth has the characteristic of the lack of a driving power. So there's no no energy to move ahead, no motivation to go and do something. Now the function of fatness sloth is to do what? Each mental factor has a certain function. And in the case of sloth, it is to dispel energy. So just like energy gets you moving, um, in the case of Futna sloth, it is to remove Futna, the energy, and Satna then you know, to turn you, know, turn you into a lethargic being. Now, this sloth mm, is manifest as the sinking of the mind. This is what the texts certainly say. And this is very much based on actual experience of meditators. When, you know, we, you know, when the mind gets overcome you know, by it, you know, sloth, you know, then you know, we find that uh, the level of mental activity is decreasing more and more, and there's a clear sense of sinking in the mind. So, if you notice this, then know that this is the you know, that this is the mental state of sloth you know, being predominant in your mind. Now, the proximate cause for you know, the arising of you know, this you know, sloth is unwise attention to boredom, drowsiness, sluggishness of mind and dullness of mind. So you sit in meditation with eyes closed and uh, with a slouched posture and uh, you're in this sudden somewhat uh, dreamy state and you think it's perfectly all right to uh, let this state go on and on and on. And so accepting it tolerating it, and sub, you know, that suddenly you know, then you know, tolerating the boredom, and that then you know, leads to you know, sloth, the arising of sloth. The recognition has to precede the,
2: the tolerance. Uh, I, I mean, you're, the tolerance is a sign that I'm... Identify.
0: Yeah, right. And uh, Uh, so there
2: has to be a recognition.
0: There you go, that's correct. You know, and with all of the hindrances, recognizing a hindrance, recognizing sense desire as sense desire and ill will as ill will, already makes a huge difference. If you know that you know, you're, you know, the mind is overcome by this or that hindrance, you know, then you've won half the battle. And so, Then it's just a matter of you know, continuously applying mindfulness and, so, you know, and also exerting effort in you know, you know, making sure that the mind is concentrated, and then gradually you know, the respective hindrance will subside. I know. But if one sits there and some doesn't even recognize that you know, one or the other hindrance is uh, you know, creating havoc in the mind, well, you know, then, uh, no one is going to lose the battle.
2: And I could see you could confuse it with tranquility. For instance, you think you're tranquil, twa- twa- sure. twa- but, sure. but uh, it's a passivity that you're sinking
0: into. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Uh, that's And so with, not so with experienced meditators, but with new meditators, um, they think, well, all I need to do is just observe the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and suddenly that's it. And uh, they don't uh, let's say when um, let's uh, when when restlessness has arisen, they think it's quite okay it's quite natural so uh, why uh, why be mindful of this and then they keep uh, uh, being restless for uh, a long period of time and then finally uh, maybe because a teacher is asking or uh, they find out themselves and then finally they start uh, being mindful of it now. Somewhat close to the sloth is torpor, which in the Pani scripture language is known as Migda. And certainly here, this uh, torpor is, uh, or gets explained in uh, the uh, Dhamma-sanghani as indisposition of the mental factors. So in the case of uh, sloth it was an indisposition of the mind. Here uh, now it's indisposition of mental factors, unpreparedness of mental factors for good actions, obscurity of mental factors, internal blockage of mental factors, torpor, sleepiness, drowsiness, being sleepiness. This is called torpor, and modern expressions for this would be lethargy, mental inertness, um, lassitude, sleep, slumber, stupor, torpidity, and a state of not being active. And now, the short definition for torpor is a morbid state of mental factors. Its characteristic is unwieldiness, its function is to smother, and it is manifested as drooping, as tiredness, as nodding, as exhaustion, as drowsiness, as sleepiness. And the proximate cause is, certain, uh, as given earlier, unwise attention to boredom and so on. Now. Mm, unwise attention to boredom and certain others were given as proximate causes mm, for sloth and torpor. Can you think of other factors that contribute to sloth and torpor in the meditation practice?
1: Lack of effort at really grasping or aiming for the object?
0: Yes, so uh, effort and and then you're saying also aiming. Yes, is correct. What else? Not uh, absence of uh, not enough mindfulness. Yes, is correct. Let's say.
1: Like eating,
0: too much or there you go, that is correct. Uh, sleeping too much, and in general, we can say eating too much. And uh, among food items, there are certain types of food that contribute more towards sleepiness than others. And you know, like my personal experience, certainly has been eating lots of potatoes, you know, it creates. Is correct? creates a certain amount of sleepiness, so does drinking not much milk.
1: But but how do we know the difference between what's normal sleepiness, your body just telling you that you need more sleep and sloth and talk, especially in the early stages of meditation?
0: Uh, How do we know this? Um, Well, let's say if everyone else follows the schedule and (laughs) (laughs) That, no, we go to bed no, no, maybe two hours earlier, no, then no, no, maybe uh, no, this is a uh, no, case of sloth and torpor. On the <laughs> other side, side, though, is
1: not getting enough sleep causes sloth
0: That might also no, no, be a factor. People yes?
1: Some people push themselves hard
0: to not uh-huh. sleep yes. huh? on the retreat. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, right, right. Maybe or yes is correct or you know, what uh, here in our case in, in the case of reanyaani you know, jet being totally jet lagged and so it will you, know, um, you know flying across the pacific you know across different time zones certainly so it will take several days to you know, get over the jet lag and then we have those who you know, let's say have really active jobs and uh, maybe as a manager this or that and uh, you know, um, And then there's a lack of sleep that builds up over just weeks and months, and one is maybe not really realizing it, because one is certainly keeping awake by drinking lots of coffee uh, and energizing the mind. And, and then and then one comes on a retreat, and and then one falls asleep. And then the body is catching up, the body and mind is catching up, and it's showing in the form of sloth and torpor. So that's also one has to take into account. Now, there are, well, from a general point of view, during the early stages of practice, we tend to need a lot of sleep. But when we take the case of an, a more advanced meditator, who in his or her practice has gone mm, quite far, let's say, is experiencing some of the advanced or higher insight knowledges, we find that such a meditator gets by with much less sleep, let's say, just four hours of sleep, sometimes even less. And during the day the person doesn't feel sleepy. So why is this? Why is, it, why is there this difference between sleep?
1: Because it refreshes the mind to be, to have that calm and clarity, and so you need less sleep.
0: Uh, yes. To add to your explanation, um, the frequent occurrence of mental impurities, of mental defilements, tires the mind, exhausts the mind, whereas with further practice, more advanced practice, less and less mental impurities are arising. As a result of this, more and more wholesome mental states are present, and we get by with less sleep. So the presence or absence of you know, mental defilements may make a big difference or, or very much determine you know, our need for you know, sleep. And uh, some meditators who you know, you know, have practiced quite a bit and uh, gone really, you know, really deep, you know, they easily get by for, you know, with just two hours of sleep. I know. It's not uncommon. Obviously, one cannot do this forever, but uh, you know, or when the practice is at a certain point. Now, sleep and or sloth and torpor and external conditions such as climate or temperature also plays a role. So, if you happen you know, to play you know, to you know, meditate in a place where you know, the temperature you know, that rises to let's say ninety-five degrees Fahrenheit or even more than this, maybe a hundred degrees, then what then what about your mind? Will it be super alert all the time? <laughs> Obviously not. So this can be easy. Easily experienced in places like uh, you know, Nepal and India and Burma and Africa and so on. On the other hand, you know, when you're in a place like uh, here in the states, uh, at this you know during this month, so it's not that hot yet. You know, you know, this is certainly uh, quite good. Certainly, a good condition for uh, for practice. Now. Obviously, when we fall sick, we you know, will also need more sleep. And so then sloth and torpor may easily come up. Now, another interesting you know, point you know, that's a, you know, that ties in with you know, what we have you know, discussed earlier on, the... Dhammapada Atakata, as well as the Dhammapada verses 112 and 230 uh, say that. The frequent arising of sensuous thoughts, the frequent arising of thoughts of ill will, and the thoughts of cruelty, vihimsa also n- n- create sloth and torpor or contribute n- to n- the arising of n- sloth and torpor. So, thinking unwholesome thoughts n- will uh, tire the mind and. Sub- and Then uh, lead to sloth and torpor. Now, um, when sloth and torpor is present, then this is already bad enough. But it gets actually worse. When sloth and torpor are present, then mm, this will. Frequently, or the laziness will frequently be combined with several other unwholesome states of mind, such as lack of faith, asada; lack of moral shame, ahirika; lack of moral fear; little learning, and lack of wisdom or folly, dupanya, in the Pali scriptural language. And So what we have to be aware of is that in the presence of laziness, and by extension sloth and torpor, um, there is a fair chance for other unwholesome mental states to arise and to make life even more difficult. Now sloth, according to you know, the Abhidhamma, is uh, um, a mental state that arises together with the seven universals, and sometimes with five, sometimes with six occasionals, and uh, you know, always together with the four unwholesome universals, you know, such as uh, um, uh, well, ignorance and then lack of moral shame fearlessness of no wrongdoing and certainly restlessness sometimes it certainly will be accompanied by greed sometimes with sometimes without wrong view sometimes with or without conceit, sometimes with hate sometimes also with avarice and Worry and sloth, for sure, does not arise with beautiful uh, mental states. So sloth is certainly uh, a mental state that we do not want to uh, cherish for or, uh, or uh, well, welcome for too much or too long. Now different ways to deal with sloth and torpor. There are many of those, mindfulness being the first, and um, knowing that overeating may lead to sloth and torpor, so regulating the amount of food, moderation in food, um, being careful with what one eats, and then an interesting point is, if in sitting meditation, sitting after you're sitting, you fall asleep, then what would be the answer to this? Go to sleep. What's that? go to sleep <laughs> <laughs> Well, that might be one answer <laughs> but so. what's that? Stand up. to stand up there you go change the posture and so in standing you know, there will be a less likelihood to fall asleep although sometimes <laughs> there are cases you know, of extreme sloth and torpor you where know, one still falls asleep or almost falls over um, moving Yes, indeed walking meditation and the text also mentioned walking outside at nighttime looking at the sky. And then then there are things like establishing the perception of light. Now some meditators are gifted and have this talent of um, being able with eyes closed. They manage to arouse or create a light in the mind, so a bright light, and so, you know, when you know, this bright light arises you know, then it dispels the sloth and torpor. Now once in Lumbini we had such a meditator and so, you know, she just didn't have any problems you know, with you know, sloth at all, you know, sloth and torpor at all staying in the open air. You might also want to seek the association with an energetic person. And then you might want to listen to a Dhamma talk on sloth and torpor (laughs) or the hindrances. Now, let me conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk by wishing, may we all... um, uh, find, uh, apply those different uh, ways suddenly mentioned in the text, uh, or mentioned so far to overcome sloth and torpor, and Satna, all of the other uh, hindrances. And in particular, in the case of uh, the sloth and torpor, may we take to heart uh, the advice suddenly given by the Buddha to Elder uh, Mahamoggallana, who, on uh, f- for him, uh, f- in simple forms did not help to overcome the sloth and torpor. And so, so, uh, eventually, may we gain the path of arahantship, and with this, dispel sloth and torpor forever. And may this happen during this very lifetime. And this is it for now. And so the fact you know, that uh, it takes arahman-ship you know, shows you how difficult it is you know, to you know, well, get rid of sloth and torpor. So the sloth and torpor will be around you know, for a little bit longer. It's I not safe. So
2: one sec- question, Seidel. Um, I had, in my mind, I had always associated the rains retreat, which is during the monsoon <coughs> season. Yes. As a traditional time when the monks go into retreat. Yeah, right. And and obviously the temperature will be high,
0: the humidity. Not so will be high. high. Not so high. No, no. Well, no. At the very beginning of the, you near know, the rains retreat, at least in Burma, or and also in Nepal and India, you know, it's going to be hot and certainly humid. I yes. know. But later on, later on the, the temperature does drop a little, a bit, it must
2: somewhat. Be the, I mean, in terms of sloth and torpor, it must be extremely difficult. I mean, the conditions are...
0: Mm, at least not as bad as the hot season.
2: <laughs> when is the hot season?
0: <laughs> the hot season is, uh, well, March, April, May, June. Before the, month, yeah, before the monsoon yeah before the monsoon and then it gets really hot <laughs> uh, no. Oh, the monsoon! The monsoon is here, at least in Burma, in, in you know places like you know, Bogu Division or Yangon, you know, Yangon Division. Um, is wonderful for it, you know, practice when it rains every day, you know, oftentimes in the afternoon. And then you have the rain you know, dropping onto the roofs, and it's so quiet. There's no you know, major social activities going on, no weddings, nothing, and it's a perfect time for you know, for practice. Yes, Alan?
2: At some point in this retreat, would you consider talking about the fourth foundation of mindfulness and, and, uh, and the hindrances in practical application to our, our, our meditation practices? It's, it appears that with the fourth foundation, uh, the hindrances are mentioned. And it appears also that there is a way to use the, uh, um, the, uh, the hindrances in skillful ways. Uh, of, of applying mindfulness oh, should,
0: uh, and not yeah. in non-attachment, non-averse ways. Uh, is there, is there some way that you might be able to speak to us about that? Uh, maybe. Well, no. Oh, Mar- a little bit. yeah. Marcia is going to talk. Because I'm, not focusing. Uh, and then I can add a little bit tomorrow. Uh, no, in, in the uh, Dhamma discussion. Uh, yes.
1: So you also mentioned before you the. Yeah purposes of mindfulness, the first you're with something and the second is protected. Could you expand on that? I wasn't familiar with that teaching. I hadn't heard it before.
0: Ah, so you know, with the help of Viriya, with effort, uh, effort has a tendency effort has a tendency to distance of you know, the mental defilements and also to block them, to block their path. And so when you block the path of unwholesomeness, the path of wholesomeness gets opened up. Wholesome mental states have a chance to arise. So that's you know, that's the function of the work of uh, the effort. And so uh, you know, the classical you know, definition of mindfulness is uh, that it's uh, it has two manifestations. The first one is as a, a state of confrontation, a state of being face to face with the uh, object of observation. Visabimukhabbawa, in Pali, and so, you know, the second manifestation is as the uh, guardianship or protection, araka in the Pali scriptural language. And so, you know, so, as explained earlier on, when Mindfulness is really present, or is present from moment to moment to moment to moment to moment, with no gap in between, then unwholesome mental states have no chance to arise. And the result is the result of this is that during the time when mindfulness is present in a continuous manner, the mind is protected and protected against or protected from the arising of unwholesome mental states, which means no hindrances can arise. And in the case of concentration, the concentration suppresses the hindrances, so it doesn't give them a chance to arise. No, it's not that the hindrances are gone forever, but uh, for the time being they can't uh, show their heads. And so it's those three mental factors that are working together, and suddenly then uh, taking care or, or uh, uh, taking uh, taking care of the hindrances, and then uh, gradually allowing a meditator to move beyond the hindrances. So from first being a victim of the hindrances to then reaching a point where the mind is quite free from the hindrances in in all these wonderful mental states, that we discussed earlier on, gladness and joy and so on and so forth, then arise. No, so there's a, there's a very, you know, um, you know it's a, it's not a haphazard you know, thing that is going on in the practice, but you know, there is some you know, some you know, very systematic development to the whole thing. Uh, no. Yes, Marcia? I was just
1: going to say that experientially, the <clears throat> with the concentration and mindfulness, in the way that you just spoke about it, in relationship to the hindrances not only are they suppressed, or there's no space for them to come up, they're weakened in the process, if that's continued, mm-hmm. those practices are continued with and are developed, and, and one is able to continue practicing that way. The hindrances get weaker and weaker. Yeah. What do you do, though, if the mind is deluded? You, you, you can be thinking that you're practicing mindfulness, Mm. But on a subtle level, mm. the, the, the wholesome state pops out. Yeah,
0: sure. And then at a later point, you know, when some mindfulness comes back in, you realize, oh, uh, I've been pretty you know... <laughs> that's, where,
2: that's
0: where your mindfulness becomes sharp. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's you know, mm-hmm. later on that we realize how, we've, how deluded we've been you know, uh, earlier on. Okay. I know. And that's a, That's a big surprise to you know, many meditators. You know. <laughs> you, know, you think of you go into a retreat. You think, oh, you're the greatest, and uh, you know, you've got all these uh, great uh, uh, diplomas and whatnot and uh, degrees. And so, uh, and then you know, you, you know, after a while, you realize how deluded you know, you've actually you know, how <laughs> impure the mind is, and yeah, all. It's fortunate
1: when that.
0: In a sense, very much so. Otherwise, we go on being yeah. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: Could I mention just one small thing? That uh. One of the ways that I, and I, I did, I think I said something about it last night, but uh, there, the quality of uh, energy, virya, uh, effort, has a certain uh, component in it of interest. and I sometimes call it interest energy. Mm-hmm. So. I m- experientially myself and with uh, students that uh, quality of interest in relationship to the hindrances so the recognition of a hindrance arising and actually being interested in it yeah. with mindfulness I mean really being yeah. interested mm. it's like ener-
0: yes, enthusiasm right. yes, of right. interest mm.
1: is what allows the the wholesome connection and then the mm-hmm. investigation and the
0: uh, mm-hmm. falling, you know, yeah, la- la- the or the breaking up of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. The interest uh, aspect from uh, from point of view of Abhidhamma, that's your your joy, your beauty. Yes, Yeah, it's such a different way of uh,
1: attending to, to difficulties uh, right. than and, we're used to. Uh, yes. uh,
0: right.
2: Yes. the characterization of the fourth foundation of mindfulness? Yes, the investigation right, of inter- uh,
0: uh, right. And so, like, maybe to add a little bit as a, as a reflection, you, know, you might suddenly you know, uh, take interest in the hindrances, of thinking, well, you know, they are present in the mind, in the stream of consciousness. They are going to come up during intensive practice. They are also going to come up during daily life. So, why don't I, you know, why not suddenly certain get certain familiar with them? Why not study them while they're going on? Questions
1: well, that I found very helpful still, too. That the teacher basically said, think of them as dumbbells, and you're a weightlifter. <laughs> you know, a weightlifter doesn't think of their dumbbells as yeah. princes. That yeah. you keep working against them, you get stronger. Yeah, yeah that's but a think nice way. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then there's less certain uh, uh, negativity or less uh, resistance towards them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Yes, I Jim.
2: have this concern that, you know, um, dwelling on the hindrance feeds it, and that and the that, weary uh, can actually, um, I mean, I'll give you an example. I was outside doing walking meditation, and then I was stepping through the door into the dining hall, and I looked to the kitchen, and I said, gee. I wouldn't mind a bite to eat right about now. <laughs> Even right at that moment. Yeah. And instead of dwelling on it, going for it, I left it alone. And it didn't follow me.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, normally, what would have happened is I would have continued on, and the thought, and the feeling, and the salivation would have all started. Yeah, right. But it. it, uh, it it just never caught hold. Yeah, right. So rather than looking at it, focusing on it, feeding it, in effect, I just left it alone.
0: Yeah, but uh, some moment of mindfulness must have been there.
2: There was the recognition of yeah. mindfulness. Yeah, see,
0: yeah, that's yeah. that's good enough. No, that uh, that then helped you to you know, uh, not act on it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just uh, sometimes I, I I have a question about where. The application of we're um, is it, in unfailingly the right a- the right approach, um, or are there times when it's best not to apply worrya? That just leave it, abandon it.
0: And make, and make well, no no, 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 By all means, um, you know, apply mindfulness, and uh, you know, then, if you have uh, you know, the energy, then, then use it. And uh, uh, if uh, you know, it will probably depend on the circumstances. Uh, you know, if effort is not needed, then uh, yeah, well, then don't use it. And uh,
1: don't you have to be careful too? You know, I mean, there's got to be neutrality there because if you you have to be careful about how you abandon it, otherwise, it becomes an aversion.
0: Mm, that, yeah, that too, sure. Uh, no. Yes, Paul?
2: Do you recommend labeling hindrances when you see them arise?
0: Why not? Is that part of Hey! <coughs> No. Oh, it's just naming something. No, naming, giving it a name, pronouncing the name in your mind. Ah, this is restlessness. Now I know what you are. And something you know, this makes a big difference. No, or you know, with beginning meditators, um, you know, all sorts of questions come up in the mind. Is this working? No, it's not working. Is it in accordance with the the books I've read? No, 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 no. And now then, what about the teachers here? How they don't know anything whatsoever? (laughs) (laughs) So, now the the meditators caught up in this kind of thinking uh, for quite some time, not realizing that uh, that this is doubt. This is the hindrance of doubt, and it may take a teacher to point out you know, during interview that this is actually a mental factor of doubt, and kindly you know, do consider it you know, labeling it, observing it and knowing its nature, exploring its nature, uh, or else sooner or later the, you know, the meditative might get the point you know, and rec- and uh, realize for it you know, for himself or herself you know, that uh, "Oh no, this uh, I'm caught up in doubt." You know, and then start uh, you know, to, you know, to label it. Uh, no. So labeling helps. Not well, maybe not in each and every case, but it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, no. So now it's already eight forty-two. <laughs> maybe this much for now. Um, the next. Shall we start the last sitting at nine ten? Or you want you prefer nine o'clock or nine ten? Nine ten.
1: So What <laughs> so, are we doing with them? I'll go with that at a later time.
0: <laughs>
1: Ring it, it at nine, and then you'll come in by
0: nine. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay, that's all it.
2: Thank you for listening.